Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Hey Bree. How you doing today, Jamie? You know what? I am I am just vibing. We are. Even when I jumped on here with you a second ago, you're like, I'm vibing, I'm vibing. Listen, we're just we're vibing in our tribe. Come vibe in our tribe. Bree, I'm pretty excited about tonight's topic. We are talking about Zeta Reticuli, which is where my ancestors come from. Your ancestors or like your lifetimes? My lifetimes. Okay, so wait, like let's before we start any of this, we have all heard the story hundreds of times we've talked about where Elizabeth April gave us readings. And one of the things in my reading is she said to me that I was a tall white Zeta, which is actually very interesting because apparently so is she. And I feel like that was the first time we put together tall whites and Zetas. Yes, where it all started to get linked together. So these are my people. This is where I come from. This is my home apparently, which to be honest with you, makes like a lot of sense as we start to get going because the connections where I'm like, yep, mm, yep. It's very, I'm like, mm, makes sense. And what's funny is although I am a tall white Zeta, I am in a short body, but apparently that's like a thing. It's like a joke that they play on people who are tall Zetas. They're like, haha, we're going to send you to earth and you're going to be short as fuck. That was like when we were texting back and forth and you're like, these are my people. They're tall and they're smart. And I was like, everything, you're not in this lifetime. <laughs> not at all. No, the exact opposite. They were like, jokes on you, bitch. How does it feel? Devastating. You're very smart, Jamie. Let's take that back. You might not be tall, but you are smart. All right, I'll, I'll take smart. I'll take smart. As long as you're the pretty one. No, I don't like to be the pretty one. Because then you put me in this stupid box. <laughs> that was that was like a backhanded stupid box. You're always like, I know. You're always like, it's okay. I'll be the smart one and you can stay the pretty one. Oh, no, wait. I has brains too. I has brains. I have brains. I have brains too. But you're also very pretty. So let's, you know, I'm just saying. All right. So Elizabeth April was the one that introduced us to these tall white Zetas. And then as we started to dig deeper, we realized that they're entwined with what we know as the grays. And there are basically categories for all of these and kind of a timeline and a lineage of how all of these intertwine. And so we're going to get into some of the stories that talk about this today. All the different levels of them and why there are so many different races of these great aliens. You sounded auto-tuned for a second. That was weird. Oh. You're all, Ugh. <laughs> Oh, strange. So the Zeta Reticuli is a binary star system that's located in the southern part of the Reticulum constellation. And it's a part of this bigger star system called the Zeta Hercules moving group of stars that kind of share this common motion as they're kind of going through space, suggesting that they probably have all came from the same area. They're not necessarily like rotating each other per se. They're moving as one as they all individually rotate in their own spaces. They have like the same origin. It's like they're their own little soul family moving through space. Their own vibe tribe? That's their vibe tribe for sure. What's interesting right off the bat is we have another binary star system, which as we start to talk about more and more star systems, we're going to realize that our star system is the weird system for only having one star. Well, I know that both of those stars, if we just talk about Zeta 1 and Zeta 2 reticuli, they are similar to our sun. And I know that there have been people, and I want to say Jason Martell is one of these researchers that came to a conclusion. He believes that our sun has a companion star and it's hiding like somewhere out in deep space. And I think that might be interesting to examine one day. How weird would it be if we were also one of these binary star systems? Well, I mean, that's a huge thing that, I, I mean, I know about it. It's been talked about for years, I believe. I know about it. <laughs> I'm just saying like, yeah, I vibe with it. It's like a, it's like a... A vibe. Yeah. So what's also interesting about this star system is that once again, we have no known planets to be orbiting around either of these stars, Zeta 1 or Zeta 2. But throughout the years, there's been like really weird discoveries made about it. And for the most part, they said that these stars probably had these maybe like debris kind of rings that were 
around it, although that's never really been confirmed per se. There's been like one study that says yes, one study that says no, one study that says yes, and one that says no. But it's very comparable to like what would be like in our Kuiper belt. So something like that, a lot of asteroids and things like that. And so who knows if that's real or maybe maybe they're just really small planets and they're all really small aliens. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a vibe. It could be a billion different things. But we have another one of these binary star systems and we don't know if there's any known planets. And just because we don't know it doesn't mean it's not out there. I know a lot of arguments to some of the stories we talk about today are there haven't been any confirmed planets out there, but we're finding planets by the fucking day. So come on. Come on now. Who knows what the fuck is out there hiding? Jesus. So there's a lot of different types of aliens that come from this Zeta kind of constellation area. And it seems to be kind of all over, not just Zeta 1 and Zeta 2. It's just all of these different stars have different kinds of aliens. They all tend to be in the gray realm. We have tall grays, short grays, fat grays, wide grays, tall whites, tall yellows, tall greens. But they're all are this typical ideal, what you think of a Hollywood alien is, the, the small body, the big head, the big black eyes, and different variations of that in different colors and sizes. I wonder if these grays tend to think that we're kind of racist. Because, I mean, if you think about it, especially in like, you know, the UFO lore, everything is just the grays. Like we don't we don't categorize them by specifically what their race is. And, you know, because we don't necessarily have all that information, at least not solid fact. This is this, this is that. But I wonder if it's like how it is here, how, you know, someone from China does not like that you maybe call them Japanese or, you know, like Pacific Islander. Remember, we had a friend that was specific. Pacific Islander and he hated being called Asian. So I sometimes I wonder if they feel like that. Mm-hmm. Like these fucking racist ass, stupid ass humans just grouping us as in the grays. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I have, I kind of have a sort of an answer for you. The first thing I'll say is that number one is that these species of aliens are not typically very emotional. So having a reaction like that is probably not something that they do. They are definitely considered more of like a droid mentality. And it makes sense when you start to think about how their structure works or how the little information we have about their structure works. But what seems to be happening here is that all of these grays, we're just going to call them grays in general, their color and size are dependent upon what their jobs are. And so you have these smaller gray aliens who tend to be the workers, the droids. Then you have the taller ones who are, you know, maybe in charge of the droids and and you go up and up from there. And it seems that there is this sort of class system almost where you are smaller, so therefore you have a quote unquote, smaller job. And the taller you are, the more and more in charge of things that you are. So you definitely have this structure inside of there. But what's interesting I found is that all of these different sizes and colors and shapes that these aliens come in are all genetics. It all goes back to genetics. Something happened in their line where they were unable to breed. And the only way that they could like make copies of themselves were to literally make clones and copies. And so They have come down to Earth to use our DNA to further themselves. And by taking samples of our DNA, created this entire structure, this entire culture, basically, using our DNA and making all of these different types of gray aliens in order to solve all of their problems, pretty much. It's like ranks. It's like they're they're put in category by ranks. And we definitely dive into more of that gray more of the Zeta story. You'd have to go back to our hybrid episode. I know for sure that I do talk about that. So if you're interested in going more deeply into that type of abduction with taking genetics, that's definitely that storyline with hybrids and, and all of that, which is really interesting to understand. And I think it also makes a lot of sense with a lot of things that we see to this day and a lot of stories back in the past of abductions and things that have been told to people. Well, you know, it, it makes sense when you think about all of the people who said that they've ever been abducted by gray aliens, the common thread when it comes to grays are that they do experiments on you, which would make sense if they were coming down and trying to do things like look at our DNA or, you know, maybe they're coming down and they've messed with our DNA and they're coming back to check up on what they've done. So it's a very interesting kind of how it all intertwines with each other. I completely agree. All right, Bree, where did the grays really come into existence at? I think that the biggest abduction story that we all know of where this all began would definitely be the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. We should all know it, but we definitely will go over, you know, the important facts uh, and how this all kind of ties into the Zeta Reticuli. 
It all began September 19th, 1961. Betty and Barney Hill were driving on the, along the road. From Montreal, Canada to back home, New Hampshire. When in the skies, over a field, they saw a UFO. <laughs> They did indeed. Well, I think they had a normal reaction like most people. Oh, that's kind of bright in the sky. And then it's like, wait, the fuck is that? As it moves closer and closer. Well, and they do what any person I think in this situation would do next is they pull over on the side of the roads so they can really get a look at it. And that's when Mr. Barney Hill takes out his binoculars and lo and behold, he gets a up-close visual of this craft. He sees that it's spinning, it has windows, and he even sees that there are beings in the window. Humanoid beings in the windows. Well, this absolutely freaks him out, so he jumps back in the car, throws the car into drive, and takes the fuck off out of there. He just randomly decides to turn down some road. He's just like, fuck, I'm going just like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like that turns down the road you want to know what's standing in front of him brie fucking what five fucking humanoid aliens i thought you're gonna be like bigfoot like bigfoot's just like you can't go anywhere no he's like the bouncer for the et's like where you think you're going buddy we work in tandem no the aliens were there waiting five of them there they're standing there and they're like sup bro They're just like, this fool's stupid. He's going to think he can turn. Even though we're up in the sky, we have a bird's eye view where he's going. But he thinks he's just going to, like, hang right. No. They're just waiting for him. Like, hey, hey, how you doing? Come out to play. And this is where Betty and Barney Hill are abducted into the UFO. Poor, poor people. Experiments are done on them. Oh, yeah. You know, it's weird that, like... They clipped her nails, cut her hair, took her skin samples. I'm like, this sounds like a drawn out, uncomfortable spa day for Betty. Yeah, very, very. Honestly, to me, it sounded like she was like cattle and they were like checking her. I think she even made that comment that they treated her no differently than how we would treat an animal. Exactly. Well, we're not going to talk about what happens on the UFO right now because... In Betty and Barney's Hill's life, they were just dropped back off back in their car like nothing ever happened and they didn't remember it. And they just went home. And for weeks and weeks, both of them had this anxiety, these bad dreams, and they just couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on because they didn't really necessarily remember all the weird shit that had happened to them. Right. It wasn't until they underwent hypnosis. All these sessions ended up with them having a pretty clear-cut memory of what happened to them, which included them having these experiments. And even Betty at one point talking to an alien. What I think is also really interesting about all of their hypnosis sessions is that first they independently verified their story. So it wasn't like the two of them were taken in a room and they were just kind of bouncing back and forth off of each other. We heard Barney's side of the story, then we heard Betty's side of the story, and they were the same. I mean, that's one of the tactics that police officers use now, you know? You, like, pull a group of people over that are all in trouble or whatever, you separate them, you try to get the true story so that they don't have time to collaborate Collaborate whatever story they think. So I think that's a good note to point out that it was independently verified. Well, and not only that, but even J. Allen Hynek, who extensively researched Betty and Barney, came to the same conclusions because of these hypnosis tapes and looking at these and saying, like, they never once collaborated a story. It was very obvious they both came to these conclusions on their, their own, and there's no evidence saying that this didn't happen. He never he never said like, yep, this is real. But he did that thing where he was like, well, it's not not real. Yeah, where he's like, it's a natural phenomenon. <laughs> Isn't that what mm-hmm. you would always say? Yeah, exactly. Swamp gas, space dust. Their hypnosis is really scary, Bree. So let's drop in a clip right here. You guys can just hear a little snippet of like some of the shit that went on. You can remember everything now. It's right over my right. God. What is it? And I try to maintain control so Betty cannot tell I am scared. God, I'm scared. It's all right. You can go right on experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. All right. All right. That's all. 
the authenticity in the voice there's for sure some trauma so while betty was getting done with these experiments the alien communicated with her and betty asked where are you guys from where's you guys home and the alien pulled out this 3d kind of map and showed it to her and basically pointed and was like this is where we from we from zeta bro What's also cool about that is like, here's home is, and these are trade routes and these are other areas where we plan to explore as well. So who knows if it's like, this is where we're going. This is where we've been. This is the next planet we're going to take over or not take over, but this is the next planet that we're going to examine. So she is absorbing all of this information into the back of her brain. Hypnosis brings it out. And during hypnosis, she draws this map of the star system, these trade routes, this home that they're saying. And it's very interesting looking. It is. And I mean, this this star map, she's drawing from something that's 220 trillion miles away. And she's drawing this map. We supposedly did not have the data at the time to put together that map. Well, and the person who allegedly put this information together, there's a lot of controversy surrounding her, would be Marjorie Fish, mm-hmm. who was an Ohio school teacher, an amateur astronomer, and a Mensa member. And she wondered if Betty's map could actually be in the stars. And she kind of took on this personal journey to figure out where these stars actually were. And in 1969, she actually went and visited Betty and talk to her to really understand what this map was about. So she took Betty's map and she compared it to all these different star systems and it took her years and she just kept connecting it until something fit and it fit inside of the Zeta Reticuli star system. And it is interesting uh, how you mentioned that there's a lot of debate about it because I think that it should be mentioned. You know, obviously now we have better telescopes out there in space. And so a lot of people are saying that the map doesn't necessarily add up, that it should be shifted over one way or there's more stars and things like that. But I'm thinking to myself, if someone showed me a map, even if I was under hypnosis, how would I like how would it be precise to a telescope no matter what like she got it close enough I think it hits the head on the nail in my opinion I've seen the side by side her drawing and then what it should look like and I think that it's extremely similar I agree with you 100% and you know she even said she, she even came out saying that in the in her drawing there's a bunch of different stars there's like eight background stars and she was saying that she didn't know if those were actual stars that exists or if she was putting them in there to show that there were stars in the background like just as a reference yeah like there's more stars in the background like I'm not only looking at like three or four stars like there's more back there exactly she's saying like she's just showing that there were stars in the sky that's that's what she assumes that she was doing the main point is everything else that she drew the main two zetas that is the most interesting part And I don't think it's fair that we pick apart her story and her drawing because it should be shifted a little bit this way or a little bit that way. We also have to remember like where she was in the craft seeing this. It's all based off of your perspective, right? Who's to say that our telescope wasn't at a different perspective than hers and so it'd be shifted a little bit over. But it's still the same fucking constellation that she drew. Give her a break. So, I mean, I I think it's good to have that point of view and then you guys can make up your own decision, make up your own mind. But in my opinion, I agree with one of the biggest arguments, which is that they were an interracial couple at a time where this was not chill. This is not okay. So why would they bring all of this attention onto themselves? It seems kind of like stupid. Like you wouldn't do that unless it was something really serious that bothered you. Exactly. And so I think I think on that note, we're, I think we're both going to have to fact Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, I think I'm going to fact it, believe it or not. 
All right, moving right along. The next time the Zeta Reticuli were really brought into the light was when Bob Lazar did his interview on television with George Knapp. We all know the story. We all watched the documentary. But he claimed that this technology that he was reverse engineering came from the vicinity of the Zeta Reticuli star system. And more importantly, that, you know, when he got this job to work at S4, that he was debriefed. He was he was handed these government documents explaining to him our interaction with extraterrestrials, specifically gray extraterrestrials, over like 10,000 years or something. So I think that's really important that not only just from Zeta, but that they were grays and that everyone has known within the government that we have had interactions with them for thousands of years. It's like, hey, swallow this giant pill really quick because you're going to work on some serious craft, some serious alien shit. And, you know, we might as well just jump into the next big case which is Roswell. We're not going to technically talk about the Roswell-Roswell crash, but it starts with Roswell. It does. And we don't need to because we've also done that. We've extensively gone into all of Roswell. Mm -hmm. And if you guys remember, there was a living being that survived one of the two crashes. And this is who we refer to as EBE-1, which stands for Ebens extraterrestrial biological entity. And I'm guessing they gave him the one at the end because like he was number one. He is number one. Or do you think they were trying to pull like an Elon Musk where they were like just naming him weird numbers and letters? Huh. Well, then they should have thrown in an X. I agree. I feel like EB, EBX1 sounds way cooler, but you know, whatever. So EBE1 didn't live a very long time here on Earth. And the entire time he lived here, he tried to make contact with his home planet and was unsuccessful. E.T. phone home. I get E.T. phone home vibes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Especially with Steven Spielberg, because this is going to pop up again. Yes, it is. So I think that's also really interesting to see that tie. I I agree with you. So E.B.E. 1 said that he was from planet Serpo, which was about 40 light years away inside of the Zeta constellation. While he was here this whole time, trying to get back home, trying to work on his stuff, trying to communicate, nothing happens until the year he died, which is also unfortunately the year that we were able to make contact. It's funny how that world works. So in December 1952, the government makes contacts with the Ebens who live on Serpo, and they decided to communicate and have some conversations. And along these conversations, they decide that, you know what, let's have an exchange program. We send some people to you, you send some people to us, you know, we just, uh, we vibe and we kind of see what happens. Switcheroo, switcheroo. Although I don't think it's fair because we sent 12 astronauts, 10 dudes, two chicks, and we only got one even. You know, that's what's funny about it. There's a little bit of weirdness around the, the, the exchange that happens with this uh, program. Holloman Air Force Base, April 24th, 1964, with approval from John F. Kennedy, might I add, two Eben UFOs land. We're hoping maybe that the exchange program's going to start happening. No, 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 no. They land and they come pick up their dead friend, EBE-1. And then they zoom off and they're like, peace, deuces, bye, out of here. And we're kind of like sitting here like, por qué? Por qué no los dos? The fuck? You know, why not? Why you not take us? They have no idea. Then the next year, July 1965, they come back and they're like, all right, game on, bitches, let's go. I can't even imagine. This to me is crazy. So we agreed to this for 10 years, that we would be chilling on Serpo for 10 years. Yes, we did. Which ended up being 13 because they lost track of time. Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure <laughs> out. They were like, it's never nighttime. There's two suns. I don't they're know like, how calendars work. Fuck. And I want to say that the hours were different. It's like 400 and something hours is equivalent to like 24 hours an hour a day. Something something crazy like that. Yeah, something crazy. And we should add that one astronaut died on the trip up. Well, what's interesting, so they had a journey over there. They went these 40 light years in about 10 months, which is like, wow, what technology do you got? But not only did they do that, but they brought so much shit with them. They brought like Jeeps, giant like tanks full of food. Like you name it, they fucking, they brought literally the kitchen sink with them. They were just like, throw it on here. Which if you think about space travel and you know anything, that's going to be expensive boo-boos. This is expensive. That's a lot of heavy shit. Like that's crazy. They're like, let me bring my sewing machine. Like, yeah, they were like uh, my bicycle. They yeah, probably absolutely. brought like a boom box, some music, jump in the craft. And then they're like, so there's a blind man, right? Man, right? 
I was thinking about how we were saying that and I was thinking like, is that mainly a Bay Area thing? Like, do other people know that that was a song or do they just think that we were just saying, so there's Blind Man, right? Blind Man, right? I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) I mean, that's a big song. It's Colt 45. Oh, sorry. I had to throw that in there. It just reminded me. I think that's funny. I mean, if it was me, Brie, and I was going to be gone for 10 years, I'd try to bring as much shit with me as possible. So, like, I vibe off of that. I totally agree. Somebody did die on the way there. We have no idea what happened. We weren't told or anything. We just know that there was some sort of an accident and somebody died. And then that two astronauts also died while they were there because of radiation. Radiation exposure. Exactly. And, you know, when they got on the planet, they didn't really like it too much when they first got there. Because one thing you got to remember is if your planet has two suns, it's real hot. Hot as fuck. It was like on a regular basis, like the morning time, 107. I'm talking Vegas weather, baby. Vegas weather. That's what they were living in. It's not cool unless you have topless pools. If you don't have that. I mean, with a bunch of Ebens, too, I don't imagine that they do that. So it doesn't sound like a vibe. No. So they lived there for these 13 years. They ended up moving somewhere north so it could be colder. They moved like away from the sun. You know what I mean? And some of them even decided to stay there. Two of them were like, "We've, we've created our life here and we're not going back. Could you imagine? That is so weird. I know. So it started off with 12, right? So one dies and then two more die. So now we're at nine. Two more stay. So seven of them come back. Seven come back after 13 years. They come back. And when they get back on Earth, they're quarantined for a year. I mean, they should be. I mean, I agree. But this is where all the juicy details, you know, they got spill. Like, this was happens. This is this what happened here. This is what they got going on. And you know what? We don't know any of that fucking information. We donut. We donut now. You know, Richard Doty, the man I just will never trust, he talks a lot about stuff that happened on Planet Serpo for the Project Serpo. And it just sounds like a lot of bullshit to me, especially in his accounts. He has a lot of strange details about their time spent there. So I'd like to just stick to like these main facts and not dive into the people that say that they know more about the story because it just does not sound real to me. Well, you know what? Let's talk about somebody then who does know a little bit about the story. Ronald motherfucking Reagan. (laughs) There is a audio recording of Ronald Reagan talking to the director of the CIA at the time, and he is informing Ronald Reagan of Project Serpo. Ronald Reagan asks some further questions where the director of the CIA says, whoa, 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 we'll talk about that later. We don't have a follow-up to that recording. We never got the recording or the transcript of that other conversation that they had, but there is a recording of the CIA telling Reagan about Project Serpo. So then it's confirmed that a president for sure knew about this exchange program. Which makes sense because Ronald Reagan was the president who replaced all birds with drones. Oh my God, quit it. I mean, I'm just saying. It also brings back his famous speech about, you know, I often wonder that whole famous speech about, you know, if we had an extraterrestrial threat, how we would all come together. So that is curious to think about if there's a connection there. Maybe that's what sparked his his whole reasoning and purpose for mentioning that. And I think that we should bring Spielberg back here when, you know, E.T. phone home that this whole scenario was being showed to us at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We see that the ships land, they bring back some people, and then one of ours goes back on the ship with them and goes away with them. And it's like this mutual, like, all right, cool. You take them, I take him. So that's just another instance, in my opinion, of Hollywood seeding in things that might possibly have happened with extraterrestrials. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan and Spielberg had a very interesting uh, little friendship. And he even invited him to the... Uh, White House to screen E.T. Oh, that is true. Yes. Reagan was really into it. Well, I bet if he knows the whole story about Serpo and I don't know, I think that's crazy. Overall, would you factor sci-fi this Project Serpo? Man, I'm gonna have to middle bitch it on that one. I'm gonna middle, I, I don't rare, I don't, I rarely middle bitch, but today I'm middle bitching. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm going to sci-fi it. Wow, okay. I just don't believe that we switched people. You know what? Anything is possible. Anything is definitely possible. I just can't imagine. And then again, because... You you just, you can't vibe with it. That's okay. You just, you can't vibe with it. Yeah. Some of the details that go into the story about these quote-unquote whistleblowers and stuff, I'm just like, eh, that doesn't seem realistic to me. But do I believe that we had an 
an Eben here that was left over from a crash? Yes. But do I think we tried to help him get back to his planet? No. I think we're probably like, you can chill here. No. You can give us all your knowledge. Yeah. You're not going anywhere, buddy. And then you can die. And then you can die. In this cellar. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, I believe that. I, I vibe with you on that one. All right. Well, let's go into something that we're both going to hard sci-fi. <laughs> Charles motherfucking Hall. Charles motherfucking Hall. This is a interesting story. And I want to point out first that the beings that Charles White talks about, these tall whites, this is the one instance or maybe one of a few instances where they actually do have more of an emotional capacity than we do. Where I know in the, in the beginning you mentioned how they don't really have all the extra emotional sauce that we have. Well, in this case, it's different. Yes, and this goes back to this genetic engineering that happened in order to create this specific tall white Zeta aliens. It plays into his description of what these aliens are. And when he questions them about why they are the way that they are, they explain it with, well, because of genetics. Charles described these aliens as being very frail and weak. And like, if you literally like, like, like flicked them, they'd like fall over and die. And these aliens expressed that, yes, we are that way because of this extensive amount of genetic manipulation that was done to us. And how we are, the version of we are today is because of all these genetics. So it's in order for us to be smarter, or to be more emotional, we had to change the genetics of our bodies to make it weaker and frailer. And so we could pump up other things that we have. How weird of a concept is that? I mean, it, it, it makes sense in all honesty. But why? Why would it make sense that you can't have a thicker arm because you need more juice to your brain? I mean, it's the same thing when you talk about like uh, evolution and stuff. Like one, it's just their species has over time realized that they didn't need to be these big, strong creatures. Well, yeah, I can see that. Except you fall over and die. So, but one of the reasons that they didn't need to be really strong is because they were incredibly fast. Pew, pew, pew. And so they could get away from any kind of scenario that would become of harm to them. So something like strength or a body that was very durable and sturdy wasn't something that was necessary for their species. This is very strange to me. I still don't totally vibe with it. But this information is coming from Charles Hall. Well, he technically is a nuclear physicist and now is an ex-military weather specialist. He spent time being a weather observer out there in Nellis Air Base in Nevada. So yeah, so in the late 60s, Charles was in the Air Force. He's stationed out there. He's basically working with weather balloons. If you listen to any of the interviews about people who worked with weather balloons during that time, the weather balloon like information gathering section of the Air Force was like a giant joke. None of them really knew what they were doing. They would write down random numbers. It was not a real job by any means. And it is interesting that he was at Nellis Air Base because this is a giant complex, right? We have Area 51 basically in the middle of this giant area. Which is not that far from me, guys. It's very close to you, actually, even though it's in the middle of absolute nowhere. And this is where, you know, we hear about Area 51, Groom Lake, Dreamland, S4, Area 52, 3, 5, 10. All of these, all of these different testing fields are out there where he is stationed to do this weather balloon service, eating peanuts. So he's in this specific area inside. Nellis Air Force Base. And as time goes on, he starts to have these very grandeur ideas of himself. And he thinks that he was purposely placed in this position because of his great communication skills and how wonderful of a person he is. But the reality of it is, is they stuck him in a corner and they were like, hang out over here. And Charles made up this great, fantastic story of himself about how he made friends with a tall white Zeta alien named Range 4 Harry. <laughs> named Range 4 Harry because it was on Range 4. And a Harry was apparently just his name. Which is very interesting. I mean, the whole story of his time there, he's just working on, he's just doing weather balloon stuff, but then it's like, oh yeah, there are these tall whites here. They they live here on the base too. They have children. They have families. They're just here. We're, you know, swapping information. So they might be mingling around. Watch out for them while you do your weather balloon shit. That's pretty much like what he's saying that his life was. He was literally like, yeah, he was living in this community of these tall whites and he was just there to like I guess be like an ambassador between them and like the government or something it, again all very grandeur made up in his head that he was he was so important he had to be in this position and you know one of the funny things I love about Charles is he said that the tall whites would dress up as humans and they <laughs> 
their favorite thing <laughs> in the whole entire world to do was to go and hang out inside casinos. casinos. Go to shows. They wear sunglasses. I mean, like, I, like I mean this in the nicest way possible. But if I was an alien, that is not really casinos. The people that could just fall over if you flick them. Come on, Vegas is the wild. That's what I'm saying. In a casino, dressed in weird sunglasses with their pale skin. He has a lot of details to the story. To me, sometimes I know we've talked about this, and you know what? It's weird. Sometimes I feel like I'm turning more into a, a skeptic as I get older. <laughs> but I know the both of us are. Like the more and more things, we're like, "Fuck this shit." I know. What you're trying to get to is that all of these very specific details make it so that a story is unbelievable. In my opinion, I think so. I mean, he has so many stories and they are boring stories. Oh, it's a hor- If you guys want to read the book, it's called Millennial Hospitality. There, There is a series of all me- millennial hospitality. It's like one, two, three, four, five. And he wrote this saying that it was it's a science fiction novel and then later was like oh no it was real I just said it was a science fiction novel so people so would read people it would read it but the funny part is is that people didn't read it when it was fiction <laughs> and because he came out and said that it was real they were like oh, okay we're into it now I mean some of the things that he said his job was never was never classified. So, like, he can come out and talk about anything because his time, what he did, nothing was ever classified. No one ever told him, these are the aliens, these are their names, these are where they're from, this is what they're doing here. No one ever told him any of that. So, because he wasn't working with any craft hands-on or was given that information, none of it's classified. And I find that very hard. Because it was just the aliens talking to him. Yeah, it was just him and his buds hanging out. And that would never happen. I mean, if the government put you anywhere where they're like, yeah, there's aliens here, it's it's." cool, just do your thing. That would for sure be classified. You cannot go around and talk about that. But there's a side to that, though, because there is a theory among a lot of people who kind of sort of believe his story and say that actually what the government was doing was purposely putting him out there with this group of aliens, trying to see if they would like kill him or like basically using him as bait. They were like, okay, we're going to station this dumb motherfucker over here because he's so stupid. (laughs) And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see if the aliens bite. That's stupid though. If they've been working and working with him on the base for this long, working with all the military for this long, then why would it just be this one guy? I'm just saying it's just, it's just, it's just the theory out there they were just like throwing him out here like fuck it like let's see what happens i find that hard to believe and the fact he said that he was allowed to go anywhere in dreamland they're like yeah go anywhere you want in dreamland but no one else could go with him because if anyone else tried to do that they would get shot so he's the one and only person that could just like go and do any anything one of his many stories he was talking about was how these tall whites didn't understand how we had pets, you know, that we care for animals because in their point of view, when a species becomes more intelligent than another species, you just kill them off. They would just assume that you just shoot the dog. You're smarter than the dog. Why are you its keeper? Why are they your pet? You just shoot it. And I found that hard to believe because I'm like, okay, well, they're over here working with humans. And I mean, technically, aren't they smarter than us? But they're not over here like we're just going to shoot you. Exactly. They, They somehow need Earth as a base for deep space travel. And they keep us alive for that. That part just, that doesn't add up to me. Sounds weird. Yeah. But there's a lot of inconsistencies in his stories and a lot of inconsistencies in what he says. I think, I think that at the end of the day, he has a really interesting imagination, but I think that all the things he said are absolutely batshit crazy. He looks like the sweetest man and he tells these stories with a straight face. So I don't believe that he is lying. I believe that he completely believes it's real. He believes it's real his mannerisms the way he goes he's just like a pathological liar okay but then but then we're backing ourselves into a corner here because we are two people who always say that your mind creates its own reality you create your own reality so if that's the reality he lives in and that's his truth who are we to say that it's not true that's true okay how about he's just like psychotic he doesn't know So you think that he, so, okay, so, so, so the whole reason we started this goddamn episode or this goddamn podcast was because people thought we were crazy because we talked about aliens. So now you're mm-hmm. going to say that this person who is talking about aliens must be going through some sort of psychotic episode. It's the only thing that makes sense because he truly believes it to be real. Cause I could say the same thing about you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny. I swear on my life, Jamie, I had this exact conversation in my head this morning. Did you? <laughs> 
I'm not lying. I did. Because the second I've known about his story, that was the vibe I got. And it was actually Chuck Borowski who asked me about him and was like, oh, there's a a documentary on Amazon. You should watch it. So I watched the documentary. I'm like, this guy's full of shit. And then I looked more into him, kept thinking this guy's full of shit. And then it came up with us again. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy that's like full of shit. Yeah, sure. We'll talk about it. And then, you know, as I'm like re-listening to different interviews he's done, it's like the whole time he's talking, I'm just like, yeah, fucking right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And so I was thinking about that today, how I'm responding to his story the same way that other skeptics do to things that I feel like are true true and and real. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a double-edged sword for me because I, you know, like I said, I feel like I've become more skeptical. But I mean, overall, I'm a believer and I think it's good to be skeptical in certain situations. But I also feel like there's a small part of me that feels guilty. Like I have almost like because I'm a believer, I have to believe everybody. Everyone. Yeah. But, but you know, that's what this is. It's about having these kind of conversations, whether or not we believe something or not. And listen, I'm with you. I won't say I think it's because he's crazy or a psychotic episode. I think that he genuinely does believe it to be real. It is what it is. It's not my reality. It didn't happen in my reality, but I definitely think it happened in his reality. I'm going to sci-fi it in my own reality. How about that? (laughs) Well, that's just a mind fuck because that's just like, it didn't happen, but it did happen. That's the ultimate middle bitch. It's the same thing with, did the UFO ever exist? I know. Was there ever really a flying saucer? It's all just, listen, we're we're starting, we've, we've gone past just the ufo story now and now we've gone into the mind fucked that's the level we're at now that's how much research we've done that we're just mind fucking ourselves and that's very true i mean even like with this whole topic you could probably give us a year to put as many things together as possible because there's just so much information (laughs) that i've consumed over the years that then when we think of a topic it's so difficult for me to pick and choose what i've learned and try to put this in a perfect packet where we can just unpack everything and it's in this nice little boxed envelope of an episode Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible i'm trying my best here but there's just there's just so much of everything and trying to put things in a chronological order and it's like well if this happened then how did this happen it doesn't work it doesn't work which i think we've proven over time that every time we try to put things in chronological order and then like wait okay wait no no wait we got to go back to this now i know i feel like a, a dog chasing my tail with this shit sometimes you know, I'm just like, ah. That's a good analogy for this fucking topic, though. It actually is. Just in general. Like, yeah. It is. It's mind warping, especially if you're not just into nuts and bolts. If you're taking it up in the head like you and I do, fuck. You put that in a universal perspective and we're just like. Do not bring him back up. We don't need to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole anymore. No. Unfortunately, I just don't believe a story but I do vibe with you on it happened in his reality because he does seem very genuine exactly. he talks like he should be actually selling you cheese he should be selling cheese would you eat his cheese <laughs> he'd be like this is from I can't even do his accent because he's just so he's so like don't you know <laughs> don't you know <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like he would just I don't know fucking tell you it's sheep's milk but it's really cow's milk kind of shit so that that story I don't necessarily vibe with, but there are some other quote unquote whistleblower stories that I definitely vibe with. One of these stories, quick stories, give them to me. I would like to pull in here is a researcher, Anthony Sanchez. I've talked about some of his stuff before because he is one of the researchers that really dove into Dulce and other underground military bases. And he wrote the book UFO Highway. He had a whistleblower. He was a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. So he's known as just like Colonel X. He told him all kinds of information. But one that I think is extremely notable for this episode is the story of the progenitor race, which are the tall, pale humanoids from Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2 system. When we talk about the progenitor race, we should probably dive into that one day because there's so much information about them. Basically, they're like the first race, like the the first seeding race. So they're out there in the planets in uh, Zeta 1 and 2, and there's also all kinds of greys there. And at one time, there was a war between them and the greys because they started taking genetic material from these greys to create the android version of greys. 
basically tried to create like a slave type of race from these greys, from their genetics, which I think is also where we can plug in the droid version of these greys came from. So there was a war between them because they're like, why are you taking our genetics and making us into robots and shit? They were like, free labor. Free labor, exactly. But the crazy story about these tall, pale humanoids from Zeta fighting with the greys is that these tall, pale greys originally came from Sirius. Oh, wow. They were on a planet in Sirius, in the Sirius system. So they originally came from Sirius, which is another very interesting thing if we're going to talk about progenitors, because one of the stories over and over again that we were visiting for the last two episodes were that it was people from Sirius that came and seeded and showed the way. So they were originally from Sirius. They're like, all right, let's expand. Let's go big, right? So they go to the Zetas. All that shit happened. They're like, we need to go somewhere else. They originally go to Mars. Oh. So they land on Mars. They're chilling there. They stayed there for 100,000 years until something catastrophic happened on Mars. Did they go underground? Horrible. I have no idea. Something catastrophic happened on Mars where they needed to leave. They needed to flee. So they ended up leaving Mars and going to Earth. These tall, pale humanoids. Now. Let's flash back to our remote viewing episode. We talked about... The catastrophic event. The catastrophic event in Mars. And these beings were tall, thin. The remote viewers couldn't necessarily identify anything else about them other than they were an extremely old race. Like back a million years, an extremely old race, one of the originals that they came to Mars, something awful happened, and they needed to leave, and they're going to leave where? Well, let's fucking put the pieces together here. When I heard this story, I'm thinking about what was remote viewed about Mars, that this is that race. Well, not only that, but people have so many theories that one of the ways that we have life here on Earth was because that there was a race that was on Mars that it escaped planet and seeded Earth because of a catastrophe. So that lines up with a lot of theories that are already out there. Which is so interesting because that's like the progenitors, right? The original is Sirius and they do end up coming here. It's like Sirius, they go to Zetas, they take genetics from Zetas, they create all these other greys with the original greys, they make the androids, they go to Mars, shit hits the fan on Mars, they go to Earth, they keep the seating. This is plugging all of those little pieces together and it all makes so much sense to me when we think about all these other things that we've researched and how all of this kind of wraps up into a storyline. It's definitely nice that we just keep connecting all these dots throughout all these, you know, different series that we're doing that we're not meaning to connect these dots, but it just so happens to be going that way. Especially when we talk about greys, because to me, when I think of greys, like air quotes greys, I just think of like the pop culture type of greys, right? But there are so many different types and layers. Yes. And it goes so much deeper in that. And it's embedded so much in history. And it all comes back to genetics. It all circles its way back to using some sort of genetic manipulation which is what is said to have happened at the beginning of our time of why humans are even around. Some sort of genetic manipulation happens in order to for us to even exist. And because they fucked themselves up, they're coming back here. And another thing that's really interesting, H.G. Wells, science fiction writer, way, way, way back in the day, I'm sure many people know about him. In 1893, he published an article and it was called uh, Man of the Year Million. In this article, he's describing what humanity is going to end up looking like, what we're going to end up evolving like. And he basically describes a gray being. Enormous brains, soulful eyes, no nose, no ears, a small mouth, and, quote, the whole muscular system will be shriveled to nothing a dangly pendant to their minds. Okay, skirt. So it's pretty much like the tall whites that you're talking about. I was just going to say, you were just talking trash about the tall whites switching their genetics up so that their brains and shit get big and they use that shit. And then here we have it right here that what would happen? You would no longer need your body to be sturdy. Sturdy wordy. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't seem smart. It's just interesting that he published that back in 1893 for that to happen. And, you know, he was also the the writer for War of the Worlds. 
And then when the radio broadcast of that happened, October 30th, 1938, broadcasted radio to everyone. That freaked the whole fucking world out. Yeah, because everyone, everyone thought, it, thought was it was real. There's a real attack of the Martians. Well, not only just that it's attack of the Martians, but technically that's like the first or at least one of the, f- the first stories of conflict between human and alien. So I feel like he's the one to blame for all of our problems. You know what? I'll blame him. That's fine. I blame him wholeheartedly. We can definitely dedicate this episode to blaming H.G. Wells for all of our alien problems. Yeah, that's why we have a bunch of skeptics and non-believers and maybe even why things are still kept secret to this day because people can't handle it because look what fucking happened. They obviously couldn't handle it. So at the end of this episode, uh, fuck you Mountain View, California and fuck you H.G. Wells. Wow. <laughs> wow, did Bree just give me a fuck you Mountain View, California? Holy shit. Okay, well then I want to say I think that I might have figured out a callback from our older episodes. Uh, remember we were talking about the Sirius blowing up and it having to be an event? Yeah. I think I figured out what it was. Oh. This is going to be real crazy and I'm really reaching on this one, but I think it's the star of Bethlehem, the star that was over Jesus when, when he was born. But it wasn't red. Doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be red. The thing is, is that we know that that wasn't an actual star, that it was some sort of an event that happened. I have a feeling, I'm just saying, I'm making a reach here and I'm randomly saying that I think that Jesus being born was when Sirius blew up. Damn. Damn. All right. Mountain View, California. Again, I guess I'm just going to repeat Brie here because I have to say it every episode. Go fuck yourself, H.G. Wells. I hope that you spend the rest of eternity inside of Hitler's asshole. He was a really good writer, so we can't talk too much shit. Listen, Linda. Listen, Linda. Me and my alien people, me and my greys, we really like butt stuff. So (laughs) H.G. Wells, butt stuff right up Hitler's butt. That's what he gets the rest of his life. No, not for the rest of his life. Just for this episode because we're blaming him for our alien problems, but But nothing else. Next right, episode, right, right. we'll bless him. All right, fine. We really shouldn't be cursing dead people, dude. <laughs> we, listen, we can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> We're going to be fucking canceled. <laughs> Cancel me, she Wells, from the grave. <laughs> All the smart people are going to come for us. Oh, my God. We should do a seance and talk to H.G. Wells. We have beef with him now. Should we tweet him? Should we tweet him? Tweet at his fucking fan page for him to fucking come at you sideways. So fucking sideways. Let's fucking do Let's start some internet beef with H.G. Wells. (laughs) We've... (laughs) All right, guys. We've had enough of this episode. We love you guys so much. We do. We love you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.